Welcome, this is Josh Rees with Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. For more information about our church, please visit our website, milehighchurch.org. So we're here to talk today about a brand new garden. And uh, before we get started, a picture. I know a lot of people are wondering, yeah, it's great having this talk and everything, but what about a picture of your granddaughter? There she is. There she is. She's up and walking and went with her father to the daddy-daughter dance last night. And uh, her father's six foot seven, so they make quite a pair dancing together. But uh, yeah, so uh, that's the gift. We got to spend some time with her this weekend. That's cool. So I really don't have to say anything else, but I'm going to. You know that I'm going to. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about a brand new garden today. It's... Uh, in the middle of February is where gardeners like me uh, get out our seed catalogs that come in the come in the mailbox this time of year. We got any gardeners in the room? How many of you are here? Yeah, what a group. I'm speaking to the right group. Um, we look at our seed catalogs and we start planting our new garden, planting new things, and um, just kind of, it's a season of hope for gardeners. We want to get our seeds going. You know, and it got me to thinking about how uh, we're kind of moving into a brand new garden as we move out of this pandemic thing. Uh, it's been almost two years now. Remember a couple of years ago when the uh, thing was, ah, this will be over in a couple of weeks. Don't worry about that. Uh, yeah, it's been almost two years ago now. So uh, we're ready to move forward from this. And there's a lot of talk about returning to normal. But we know something here. There's no such thing as normal, is there? Really? I love what Gene Houston said about a normal person. A normal person is someone you don't know very well. (laughs) And we got a group of them here this morning. So... um, we're not going to return to normal. Uh, we're going to move forward into something new. And um, that's the way life is. It doesn't go backward. It goes forward. So uh, we want to prepare for that. And we want to plant this new garden in a way that's conscious and that's open-hearted and that's loving. So that's what I want to talk about today is this new garden. And... Uh, You know, I was reading a book recently uh, called The Ten Lessons for a Post-Pandemic World by the journalist Fareed Zakaria, smart guy. And he was just talking about the trends that are coming up because so many things have changed because of the virus, because of the pandemic. So many things have changed in our relationships, in our world, and just the way that things work. And uh, things have changed for the better in some ways. And things have changed for the worse in a lot of ways. And, and uh, one of the things that he talked about in the beginning of this book was how we spend so much of our money and so much of our kind of our consciousness on trying to protect ourselves from the big things, from attacks from other countries. And we spend trillions of dollars on our defense budget and getting our armies ready all over the world. And yet this tiny virus, which he said in his book was about one ten thousandth of the size of the period that's at the end of this sentence. 
that really made me set up, sit up. You know, I was, I was in home in quarantine and I actually got to read a book, which was very cool. So I read this book and that, that line really made me sit up and think. And he says that this, uh, this small virus may well turn out that this viral speck will cause the greatest economic, political, and social change to humankind since World War II. Just this tiny, tiny thing. And so we want to, uh, we want to be present to the changes that are going on. And we also, just like all of us gardeners, look at our catalogs and plan. We want to be ready for this new garden that we're stepping into. Because of our technology, he says, it's tough to know what's coming next, but the post-pandemic world is going to be, in many aspects, a sped-up version of the world we knew. That's great news, isn't it? Don't we want the world to go a little bit faster? We really do. We need more information, too. So uh, I thought it would be great to, to stop for just a moment before we race into this new world and just acknowledge the grief that's alive in this moment as well. You know, during this, uh, this time, these last couple of years, a lot of us have lost family members, friends, loved ones. I've lost a few. People have lost their livelihoods, their way of living, their homes, their health, their hope. A lot has been taken away from us. And there's a feeling that things are taken away from us and it shows up in different ways. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her great work about grief talked about the first two steps of grief being uh, denial and anger. We can see in our culture a little bit of denial and a little bit of anger, can't we? You know, it was going to be over in two weeks. It was going to be over by the 4th of July. It's going to be over by Christmas. It's going to be over by New Year's. Just didn't want to look at it. We're looking at it now. In the anger that we have, the finger pointing of other people, I think we have to acknowledge that we're in a time of great grief. We don't want to take a spiritual bypass around it and just say that everything's great when we know that it isn't. We have to look at it We have to grow through it. We have to acknowledge it. And acknowledge that the people who are around us, underneath their masks, they're grieving too. And even though we might have great differences, we certainly have that in common. So I think as we move forward into this this new garden of ours, we want to acknowledge the grief that we've all been through in these last two years. And let that be compost in our new garden to help us to move forward. So the future is uncertain, but we've got a brand new garden here. I know for uh, me, this is uh, a different time of gardening because uh, Stephanie and I are move, have moved into a new house last fall. So the garden that we've been uh, working in for many, many years, we're letting go of that. It's kind of a tough thing for me because I got a great compost pile right next to it. I'm used to it. Uh, I find great comfort in it. But I got the great opportunity now to create something new. I've got a new space to work. And I have the tools. I have the experience to do it. 
I love what um, Thomas Jefferson said when he was retiring from uh, from being a, a politician, from being president. When he retired, he went back to Monticello, and he said, I am an old man, but I am a young gardener. <laughs> I relate to that for some reason, right about this time. And... Uh, I like that. I like that opportunity to use the wisdom that I've gained, to use the knowledge that I can that I can get that I can get from reading or looking at YouTube. But uh, it doesn't do me any good unless I actually get those seeds in the ground. To use that knowledge and that wisdom to get those seeds into the ground. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to start with something that uh, Carolyn Mace, a great author, wrote. She said, uh, We are all assigned a piece of the garden, a corner of the universe that is ours to transform. Our corner of the universe is our own life, our relationships, our homes, our work, our current circumstances, exactly as they are. And we know in this teaching that this garden begins in our minds. That's where it starts where we make a mental equivalent of the way that we want our lives to be. It begins there. Just like we look at new things that we want to grow, what do we want to grow in this new experience that we're going to be moving into? What serves us? What has come forward so far in our in our experience? So I want to talk about that today. How do we get our good garden going this spring? How are we going to grow? And I think it begins with gratitude. Gratitude is where I want to start. Gratitude for the things that we have. We have a little, uh, we have a little painting in our house of wildflowers, just a beautiful little mountain scene. And over there are some words for Emerson. He said, When I open my eyes upon the morning meadows and look out upon this beautiful world, I give thanks that I'm alive. I try to remember that when I stumble out in the morning to make the coffee, look out the window and see the mountains out there. A lot of things are changing. A lot of things are different. But the mountains are always there. And I give thanks for them. I know all of us when we drive up to the mountains and drive under that bridge, see those mountains off in the distance. We can just feel our blood pressure going down, going, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm here. So we begin with gratitude. There's a lot to, a lot to be thankful for. It's really the essence of uh, the law of attraction, that when we focus on gratitude, we focus on the things that we're grateful for, we attract more of that into our lives. Many people in this teaching keep gratitude journals. I know a lot of you do that. You write down the things that you're grateful for. And when you start doing that, you start realizing that there's a lot more things to be grateful for than to be sad about. If we bring our focus to it, bring our attention to it, that gratitude journal helps us to realize how much we've been gifted with in this amazing world that we're in. 
had a good friend a few years ago who was going in the hospital for a pretty serious procedure. What he did was he made a tape of himself saying all the things he was grateful for. And he set it to music. And he would have it in his headphones as he was going through his procedures and going through those times of doubt. He would have that opportunity to listen to all the things that he was grateful for. Place his attention there. You know, I love reading about history. I'm a history guy. And it helps remind me that uh, people have been going through tough times for a long time. It's kind of our nature to show up here and to stay connected with spirit as we move through our trials. And to remember that this is the nature of the world and that we can handle it. And I think back to Ernest Holmes, who was the founder of this teaching. He showed up in California and began his work right after the last pandemic had ended, at a time just like this, about 100 years ago. It was a pandemic, killed over 50 million people worldwide. And it was right after the end of World War I. War to end all wars. And he started his teaching very modestly, just teaching in people's houses about spirit, about the writings of Ralph Waldo Emerson, Thomas Troward. Just a simple little beginning. Didn't make much money, but he was grateful. He's grateful to have this opportunity. He had moved west, got to hang out with his brother for a while, who was a minister in the west, and he just thought, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. And so he, he taught about that, and he founded this teaching. And it's still the foundation on where we stand. It's still alive in this room today. And I'm grateful for that. Got great gratitude for this place that we get to gather. And I've also got gratitude in a few weeks. I'm affirming that we're going to be taking off our masks. And we're going to be starting the latte cart back up. Because a lot of life is really about a decent cup of coffee, isn't it? I mean, it really is. My God. It's not too much to ask. The next thing I wanted to talk about is about relationship. I think the pandemic has really changed relationship. And we have to be aware of that. We have to be uh, tuned into how relationships have changed. We've learned a lot about Zooming and FaceTiming. But going out to lunch with a friend, having a decent cup of coffee after the Sunday service, those things have changed, and we miss those things. And so as we plant this new garden, as we move out into the world, I think we're going to have a greater appreciation for our friendships, for our relationships, for the people that we're closest to, and for expanding our circle of friendship. Because the world is very connected now. You know, uh, our relationships are so important. I get to, I get to teach uh, parenting workshops here. I've been doing, teaching parenting workshops for years and years. I got one coming up in a couple of weeks. That's a shameless plug right there. Um, and I love teaching it because the parents come in and uh, they want to work on their kids' behavior. That's the thing. Uh, I... 
want to stop them from doing this. I want to start them from doing this. I want them to stop doing all that dumb stuff. I want them to work harder. I want to... And they got all these behavior things. But what I know, after all these years of doing it, is what they really want is a better relationship with their kids. And the better their relationship is, the better the kids' behavior is going to be. So they're not going to be arguing with their parents all the time. Most parents are growing up with young lawyers who always want to argue. (laughs) And so we want the quality of our relationship to be better. It's about relationship. And I think that's what God wants from us, to have a relationship with us. And that's really the heart of my message today. How are we going to have a deeper relationship with God? We talk a lot here about spiritual practice. That's how we deepen that relationship. Spiritual reading, meditation, affirmative prayer, and we get closer in our relationship with God. And we move it, that giant journey from our head to our heart. We stop looking at God as an intellectual construct. We start to deepen our relationship of love. You know, one of the teachers who made such an influence on my life and continues to is an Indian mystic named Paramahansa Yogananda, who showed up in California about the same time as Ernest Holmes did. And his great vision was to align the great teachings with India, of India, with that, that great spirit of America that great creative spirit of America and the great technology and drive of America. East-West was the first name of the periodical that he put out. If we could align the East and the West, what a planet this would be. And he, uh, he said this, Hearing the truth cannot relieve the soul's hunger. If you are content to hear truth without making any effort to know God, it has falsely satisfied you. Practice the truth you hear and read about so that it is not just an idea but a conviction born of experience. Do not settle for intellectual satisfaction about truth. Convert truth into experience and you will know God through your own self-realization. That's what our teachings are about here the practice of deepening this relationship. All of our classes that we teach are about that. Ernest Holmes was about that. He said this in what's called the, uh, the final conclusion of the textbook, The Science of Mind and Spirit. What the world needs is spiritual conviction followed by spiritual experience. I would rather see a student of this science prove its principle than to have them repeat all the words of wisdom that have ever been uttered. It is far easier to teach the truth than it is to practice it. So we want to work on this relationship and see how it shows up in our life as more love and more joy and more connection. Next thing I want to talk about is oneness. You know... uh, This virus has really showed us how connected the world is. As we uh, rolled out the vaccine, as we were looking for medical supplies around the world, 
supply chain issues, boats stuck in the canals, not being able to get enough stuff. It showed us that we may not want each other in this world, but we need each other. We've never been as connected as we are now. We might resist that great word globalization, but we're in the midst of it, and it's important. And we talk a lot in this teaching about oneness. You know, I've told the story before that when I was becoming a minister, I went to our senior minister at that time, Dr. Fred, and said, I'm, I'm writing a paper about uh, the theology of religious science. It's a pretty important thing. And he said, well, that's going to be a pretty short paper, dude, because uh, we don't have a theology. <laughs> Dang. He said, if we do have a theology, it's oneness. That's what it is, that all people are connected. And in one of my classes, the one I'm teaching this Friday on uh, self-mastery, started a couple weeks ago. This week we were reading from Emerson, from his essay called The Oversoul, and I love this thing. He called the oversoul that place where all of our souls are connected within which everyone's particular being is contained and made one with all other. This is Emerson on the Oversoul. Within which everyone's particular being is contained and made one with all other. We're built on that truth, the Oversoul. Ernest Holmes called it the thing itself in the beginning of the science of mind. Jesus called it the Father within. Last week, Daniel Neymar was singing One Power in the beginning, all the names of it. We can call it whatever we want, but we believe here that we are all connected, all people, all cultures, all religions, all countries, that we are connected on a cellular level. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I like it. Our souls are connected. And I think it's important to realize that now, as we step out into this new garden, the world has never been as connected as it is right now. We see what's going on all over the world. We can communicate with people all over the world. We can trade and exchange things with people all over the world. Never been here before. What an opportunity this is. So that oneness that we've talked about, that oneness that we've prayed about, it's here physically right now. And I believe that people all over the world with their own spiritual practices are seeking the same thing we are in this room, a closer relationship with God. And it's that realization that's going to bring this new garden into form. That's what's going to help us grow that spiritual connection between all cultures. We are all connected, but nobody's really in charge. That's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> but God is alive now. God is alive in the world right now. As much as ever, God is alive. And so that sense of oneness, that's what we're bringing into this new garden. And the final thing I want to talk about is wonder, a sense of wonder. 
We had the opportunity to spend some time with our uh, granddaughter, Ruby. And it's just so good to uh, just get down on the floor and hang out, get out my guitar and sing some songs to her, make her pancakes, laugh about nothing in particular. Just brings back that sense of wonder to me, that childlike wonder that's alive in all of us. And it's been such a gift for me to be around the, uh, the youth ministry here all these years, to be around all those giant souls with short legs who show up here, to see them come in all shy and kind of scared and walk out with a big smile on their face on Sunday mornings, to be a part of Rainbow Day Camp where we turn a bunch of kids loose in the community center. They build a village out of cardboard and duct tape. Just so much fun, that joy and that sense of wonder. It's still alive. It's still available if we look for it. It's still happening all around us. So we want to bring a sense of wonder into this new garden with us. And we want to feel that. And we want to know that that's the truth of who we are and where we are right now. I want to close with one of Jesus' parables. I'm a big fan of the parables. And there's some great ones about gardening. This one here comes from the fourth chapter of Mark. I think it was the first parable that Jesus put out there. He said that there was a great crowd around him, and so he got out into a, into a boat to speak to people. He said, uh, listen, which is good advice, by the way. He said, listen, a a sower went out to sow, threw a bunch of seeds out, just kept walking around throwing seeds, and uh, some of them fell on the path, and the birds ate them up, and then uh, some of them fell on shallow ground. And they uh, grew up quickly, and then they burned up because they didn't have much of a root underneath them. Some of them landed in the thorns and the weeds, and they got eaten up by the thorns and the weeds. Some of them fell on fertile ground. They multiplied, and they grew. God is still casting those seeds right now. The seeds of wonder are all around us. And our consciousness is that fertile soil where they can land. We build that consciousness with our spiritual practice, with our affirmative prayer, with our meditation. That's how we're going to build this garden. And wherever we're headed right now, So all is well. All is well. So that's how we're going to grow. Gratitude, relationship, oneness, and wonder. Are you ready to grow? Can I hear an amen? Let's start right now. Practitioners, if you'll stand with me. 
in this beautiful garden where we've been placed right now, I know that we have all the tools, all the tools to plant. We have been abundantly supplied with the gifts of the living spirit. We have great work to do. And we are not alone. God is with us always. And in all ways. So let's get to work right now. And create something beautiful. I give thanks for the blessings that will rain on us. In all that we do. In ways that we could never imagine. And so it is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.